1: We hear the terms all the time the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Israelites, but what about the God of the Gentiles? Let's talk about that next, here on Abounding Grace. We can discuss the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, and we can see how amazing He is. And we can do so with the full assurance that He is equally amazing to us as Gentiles. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We are back in Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 21 today as we explore God's amazing grace To the Gentiles. You see, we're all His creation, and He has loving kindness towards all of us through His Son, Jesus Christ. With more, here's Pastor Gary on today's Abounding Grace.
0: You know, much of what passes for preaching today and spirituality is only selfishness veiled under religious jargon to feel good about yourself. Come on. God wants you to feel good about yourself, right? Don't worry about your sins. After all, we all sin. These are the mantra of the very people Paul says. Don't be like them. High minded. Why do these things resonate today? Well, they resonate with those who are not humbled by God's grace. Because like Paul already warned in another letter who see godliness as a means of gain, personal realization, financial gain, or other blessings. And the only way to overcome this is by what Paul says here at the end of verse 20. Don't be high-minded, but fear. Now, it struck me as I was looking at verse 20. This is one of three cardinal passages in the New Testament. In Paul's letters, where he joins the ideas of the promise of grace to fear. Here's one of them. Let me take you to the other two. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So again, here are the blessings of the covenant now given to the Gentiles. And boy, what kind of Gentiles were these? The Corinthians, good people, right? No. He says, wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty cartwheels fanfare trumpets this is glorious stuff to them now there shouldn't be a chapter division here so just keep reading having therefore these promises dearly beloved promise of what god's nearness his grace forgiveness mercy having these promises dearly beloved Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the third one. Now, ready, you think Paul directly wrote Hebrews, which I do, or it came from within his circle. There is a strong tradition of at least a Pauline school of authorship of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews 4, 1 says, actually beginning in verse 15 of chapter 3, While it is said today, If ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years, was it not? <clears throat> Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise be left us of entering into the rest of any of you should... Uh, in rest any of you should seem to come short of it now why did I read these three passages together what is the remedy for pride what is the remedy for forgetfulness of grace what is the remedy for having the gospel grow cold and lose its hold on your affections and your thoughts is it new programs new slogans bumper stickers, what is it? No, it is a spiritual walk with God marked by fear, the fear of the Lord. Now let's look at what this fear is. Before I get into a few specifics, there is very far, this is very far removed from the conclusions that men draw today about grace. Increasingly, Grace is used as an excuse for sin. But Paul uses grace as a warning to flee from sin. Some say this cheap grace, greasy grace, shows you to be a son by sinning just a little bit. All of these foolish things we hear, but please understand, this is not the apostolic gospel. It is a false gospel. Whenever grace is used as a license, as an excuse, or as a way to treat sin easily, it's not how Paul uses it. He told the Corinthians all these glorious things of God. And then he said, perfect holiness is the fear of God. Those Hebrew believers, he told them to fear lest the promise being left to you You should fall short like your brothers did. And here he tells the Gentiles the same thing. God has given you these promises. Fear. Why? Because God's grace in Jesus is not a free pass for us to live as we please. Listen carefully, it is a charter of liberty that binds us more closely to the Lord Jesus in love and gratitude and obedience. So to fear the Lord is to live in reverence for his majesty, to dread offending him, to love his glory and his greatness, and especially in the gospel context as we find it here, it is to be struck with humility, with awe, with sobriety that God laid all my filth on the back of his son. I am to be in awe of that to God for the rest of my life. I am to fear the Lord and tremble before him with gratitude and with a hope, with faith, with love, with joy for the rest of my life. Fear is that sober humility that comes to the Christian. Where he recognizes that I stand before God just solely by the mercy of God. He took the initiative. He exerted the power. He provided the obedience. He provided the sacrifice. Everything that was necessary that I didn't even know I needed. But that I would perish in hell if God had not done it. He provided. So fear him. We reverence him. Don't ever forget this, ever. Did any of you today confess your sins before worship? Why do you think you were forgiven? Because you asked. What what do you think God is? One of those profligate preachers where you can go into that booth and shut the curtain and do ten Hail Marys and you're forgiven? God is no priest where... We mouth some words and, okay, you're cleansed, you're absolved. No, why did he forgive? Why does he receive our worship today? Why does he receive our prayers? Why is this not what we are doing here today, a colossal waste of time, and all of my time fully wasted in the past week in preparing? Because the Son of God was crucified for us, rose again, and reigned at the right hand of the Father. That's the reason. And that is the reason we are to fear the Lord. Because we realize all these blessings have come from Him. And we live by His mercy. I'm not living in some game with God where I have cut some deals with Him. Is that any of you here today? I'll, I'll do a few good things and he'll just let me go on some of the looser things I've done. That is not the God of Scripture. That's not the God who created this world. The God who made this world says, you receive my mercy and you believe in my son or like the Jews. You can have all the traditions, all the trappings and everything else, but you are cut off. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6.1. It is very possible to receive God's grace in vain. 2 Corinthians six one, And again, this warning comes right on the hills of 521, which says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. It seems funny, but as you read through the New Testament and every time you see a great gospel promise, you will most likely find a warning closely nearby. It's an encouragement to repent and a warning because you're dealing with precious things here. How do we receive God's grace in vain? Well, we hear the gospel, but we demand to be permitted to hold on to some of our sins. Like C.S. Lewis said, we want to carry and demand the right to carry a little bit of hell with us on the way to heaven. That's what the Corinthians were doing. That is why that warning is there. You Gentile people, You've got all these incredible gospel promises, yet you want to play footsie with the world and with sensuality and sexuality and pride. And the look at us and people suing each other, all the same, all in in the name of spirituality and rights. Paul said, you need to come back under the gospel. You know, we receive God's grace in vain when, like the Jews, We trust that Abraham is our father, but we don't have his faith. Or have any of you young people thought, my daddy's good with God, so I'll be okay. That's what the Jews thought, and they received God's grace in vain. You young people, you cannot get into heaven by riding on the coattails of your parents or trusting your baptism, or I've heard a lot of sermons in my life, and I take the Lord's Supper or have some twisted sense of your own personal goodness. This comes in so many different forms. The husband who sulks and makes himself a martyr because his wife doesn't do what he thinks she's supposed to do. And we could go on and on with this. The Jews did this. This is exactly what happened to them. They wanted a Messiah when he came, when, when he came who told them of sin. They didn't want him. They didn't want that. They thought, We've lost our temple. We've lost our place. The Romans have taken over our country. We want a political Messiah. Don't give us any of this spiritual stuff. That's pietism. Give us political activism. Give us us a relevant Jesus. That's what they wanted to hear. And they killed the Lord of glory and caught them who cut them off. So, when we hear this, You've got to be very careful. Now people when your parents tell you about Jesus. And you think to yourselves. I've heard this so many times. But. Ask yourself. How are you saved? Well Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It's like. Did you read that off of a bumper sticker some way on your way to church? Was that written on your coffee mug your parents gave you for Christmas? Did you see that on a t-shirt somewhere i know we all can say that jesus died on the cross for my sins but is there any contemplation for the magnificence of god's love and his wisdom and his goodness in laying our filth upon his son meditate on this this evening put down your phone my friends and your tablet and just thank Why would the holy God send his son incarnate to bear my filth and curse? Why was it the Redeemer's tears and not my tears in hell forever? Why did he give his back to shame and spitting when it was my shame? I needed to be spit upon in hell forever for offending the holy God and turning away from him. That will humble your heart that will make you realize, you know what? I can get rid of self, my little idols, my twisted virtues, and nursing my wounded pride and my hurt feelings and all of these things. Somebody said something I didn't like, and my feelings are hurt. Oh, please remember, there's only one victim in the Christian faith, and it is not you, and it is not me. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who laid down his life on the cross for our sins. So Paul warns us here in verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not you. You know, this isn't really very nice, is it? If any preachers today had written the New Testament, this verse would never be in here. This whole section wouldn't be in Scripture. Why? Because we don't want to hear warnings anymore. Warnings assume what? That there is a standard by which I will be judged. Warnings are not polite. Warnings don't give people the benefit of the doubt that God sends us warnings. Why? Because he loves us. And he says, listen. If I cut off the branches that were directly connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will not hesitate to cut you off. If having received all of my grace and all of my promises and goodness, and your heart is not humbled so that you love me and trust me, obey me with joy, I will cut you off just like the Jews. He has cut off whole mainline denominations, brothers and sisters, in comparison to some of them. We're like outcasts, vagabonds and beggars. Do you think God will spare us? In closing, let me just leave you with this. Everyone in here, it doesn't matter the type of work you do, it doesn't matter how much you've got going on, the things we load our lives with, does not give us any liberty or freedom or right to be exempt from basic Christian duties. So one, is there in you, is there in me, I'm asking myself the same question I'm asking you, gratitude for God's grace. When was the last time I seriously thought, with tears and amazement, that the Son of God was crucified for me. It was actually the last time was when I put this sermon together. How about you? I mean, yes, we live in an environment of it and there is a habit of godliness and that's good. But is there an active personal relationship with the Lord Jesus or he is a lot more than our buddy or our friend. He is the one ultimately who laid down his life for me and bore my curse. Two, are you humble? And I just don't mean I need to be a little more humble, so let me kind of stoop a little bit like that silly cartoon, Droopy. No. Has grace made me humble? That's what grace does. It's funny. Yes, we are to be humble and to seek humility, but grace, my friends, itself humbles. Why? Because grace kills pride. If you meditate on the riches of God's grace to you and the Lord Jesus, it's not about you anymore or about your family or about your ideals or where you have come from or how you pulled yourself up. That is all utterly dead because grace makes alive. Pride kills. Grace makes alive. Pride kills. So fight it, my friends. Seek God's grace to be humble. Pray everyone, Lord, humble me by the gospel. Humble me. Make me see what a great gift of love you have given us in your Son, that you have brought us into the holy circle of love where our sins are forgiven. We have peace with you. We're reconciled with you. We can call upon you as our Father. We have your Son as our advocate. And one day you will be our all in all. And there will be perfect love, casting out all fear. And there will be nothing but serving you in love and joy forever. And you gave all of this to me through sending your son to be the propitiation for my sins. You know, we hear people on the radio say, we've got to have change. We've got to make sure we get certain people elected or it's the end of the world as we know it. love, don't let fearful men make you lose sight of something. The only way. This nation or any nation, the church within this nation, which must change first, will be recovered, will be recovered is by the infusion of gospel grace leading to humility, leading to gratitude, leading to obedience, leading to Christians and their families opening their mouths and in places of business opening their mouths and sharing the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Everything else Is just trying to put pitch or a little bit of tar on the gaping hole that's in the Titanic. So, do you want to save the world? How did God save the world? He didn't send a political Messiah, He sent a Savior to die for our sins. You know the Savior. Who are you sharing Him with? Do you truly love Him yourself? Is your heart humbled? Do you trust in his gospel? The Holy Spirit says through Paul with a warning here, God didn't spare the Jews. But we had Abraham. Don't you dare say, well, I've got my daddy. I've been baptized. I've got this church. I've got the Reformed faith. I've read hundreds of books on theology. I've listened to thousands of sermons. God did not spare the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and he won't spare us unless our hearts are humbled and we hold fast to Jesus Christ. Please, every one of you fall into his arms. He never turns away those who seek him and his mercy. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If your heart has drifted as a believer. Drift back. How do you drift back? Stop nursing at the breast of the world. Stop nursing at the breast of self-pity. Oh, woe is me. Stop nursing at the breast. Well, no one understands me. No one loves me. Stop nursing at the breast of disillusionment because life did not go the way you thought it would go and nurse at one breast that of the Lord Jesus Christ and draw close to him and read his gospel and love him and hold fast to him and you know what the thief Christ said in John 10 comes only to steal kill and destroy but I have come that you might have life and that you might have life might have life abundantly and he reigns at the right hand of his father to give